Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in to episode 265 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. Sources Say is, as always, brought to you by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations. It's on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their uh, friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health in a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental team looks forward to seeing you soon. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again for yet another positive breaking news. of that. That's three straight. Just all of the weeks that we spent going, dang, really wish we, you know, had something positive to talk about or oh, the th- things are looking up in the air and pessimism here and there. It's it's just so refreshing, Sean, to be able to uh, get on here and talk once again about a, a very positive development for the Kentucky Wildcats. Santo Surreal, a 2024, emphasis on 2024, uh, four-star center uh, out of OTE has decided to announce his commitment to the Kentucky Wildcats. Um, I've been told the expectation is for him to remain in the class of 2024, will not enroll uh, at least in the coming weeks. Uh, he's been trying to get the academics in order. Um, I was told that he was making a push. July was going to be kind of when things would really ramp up and, and, uh, and enroll. an announcement regarding his enrollment in August was the expectation. Um, literally, after our show ended talking about Antonio Reeves uh, or uh, Trey Mitchell's commitment a couple days back, on that show, I was going, yep, Santo's going to be a 2023-2024 guy. We're going to get him enrolled because, you know, I've been told Kentucky was the choice for him. And I got a text as soon as our show ended and said, by the way, Santo won't be here in 2023. I was like, damn it. We literally just got done with this show. But Kentucky was still in a very good spot. A commitment comes just a couple of days later. Uh, and now the big question is, do you believe it? Is he still going? Is he going to stay in the 2024 class and not ultimately enroll? Um, Sean, your immediate takeaways for Santos Surreal's commitment. I actually was a little bit caught off guard. I was on the phone with someone and someone asked me if he was still going to be a part of, of what Kentucky was doing. And I said, well, it's funny you asked me that. He just committed to Kentucky. And, uh, you know, and you put out that the, the plans to, to stay in 24. And I think that Kentucky getting Trey Mitchell probably, you know, helps with that and maybe not the rush to get him to campus as quickly as they were planning to or, or hoping to. Because, because, Jack, this thing, in the last 10 to 14 days, this thing has shifted entirely on how we view Kentucky. And it's it's been all positive news when you started with Reeves. And then uh, things happen with, you know, with Huggins in West Virginia. And then Trey Mitchell falls into your lap there. And that really changed how we viewed this team. And then I, I think it changed how the timeline may be centered around Sumto too. So I, I think it, it's good news for the program. It's more positive PR. It gets a name in the hat for 2024 if that's where he stays. 
Uh, but, but a great day for the program and, and kind of a great week. And I, I texted you a few minutes ago. I said, people are asking for sources save. And if we can't fill an hour, let's get, fill 30 minutes because we've not had a lot of good to talk about this spring and summer. So it feels good to be talking about this. But he, he's a big piece to your program, whether he ends up in, in, in rolling for this season or he stays in 24. I, I think you're getting a, a big, strong physical presence whenever he arrives on campus. So I guess my thinking and where I sit just from a, an outsider's perspective, knowing what I've heard, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the summer practice buzz about, uh, you know, we're two weeks away, Sean, today from Kentucky playing games in the Global Jam. So uh, kind of tying in some of that with what I've heard behind the scenes about where things stand with the current roster, where Santo fits into that and, and maybe a need in the front court at some point, especially depending on what happens with Aaron Bradshaw, I'll continue to hear uh, good things about him, at least trying to give it a go and wanting to be here and play for, uh, for the Wildcats. My thinking, Sean, if he's this close as is to a reclass from 2020, like he walked for graduation back in May. So he clearly thought in his mind my time at overtime, even his plan was to come back as a post-grad guy, but from an academic perspective, he knew that he was at least going to be in position to be done at some point in the relative near future. I was told going into it that there was optimism that they'd be able to get it done, but it'd still be some hurdles to clear, that that it, it was a lot of work. They were just confident that, that it would be done in time, and then now we're kind of getting to that, you know, that it needs to be done in the next couple of weeks so it can be announced in August. And it's just a really, really tight window that you got to fit. But if the window's tight now, why would it not be pretty open and easy this fall when he returns for this post-grad year at, at overtime to just knock out a class or two to, to get things wrapped up where a mid-year enrollment, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be on the table. That's my only kind of like, hmm, I reached out to somebody at overtime and I asked specifically about a, a January enrollment. They said, um, we'll see, don't believe so, but that kind of remains up in the air. Um, so didn't completely shut it down, but also specifically said they didn't believe that that was the plan right now. So that part is kind of the, 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 the tricky thing for me is if he's this close as is and physically, like he's not going to get bigger, stronger, uh, more athletic, like the, the reason why he is such a prized get for Kentucky is because of how college ready he is. Another year at overtime elite is not going to, uh, you know, m make that process go quicker for him from a physical standpoint. He would come here to be an enforcer and be that physical presence from day one. So uh, that's for me just personally where I kind of still go, hmm, seems like Kentucky's having him in in their back pocket for injury, you know, insurance, or if, you know, Ugo doesn't come along as quickly as they hope for. Is this something too, that two weeks from now, when, you know, we talked the other day on this, on the show about some storylines coming out of Canada and things when, when that trip is wrapped up, is this something you think Jack that Kentucky will go through that period there and play those games and kind of reevaluate where they are roster wise. I know you're not going to have a look at Bradshaw there, but maybe see where Ugo is in his development. And then you kind of go back, to surreal and, and you look and if you need him maybe you make that pitch and approach and say hey i'd love to have you on campus for the beginning of the season or a mid-year guy or, or something so is that something that you're expecting maybe to kentucky on kentucky's end to reassess and look at they're using this as an evaluation period i absolutely think that whether they admit that publicly or not i, I think that should be kentucky's plan moving forward so uh 
I'll talk just what I've heard uh, about Ugo behind the scenes. I've heard he's been fine, but really struggling with a lack of body bodies and just not having a, you know, iron sharpening iron presence there for him. Like right now I've been told that Jordan Burks is the backup five for Kentucky right now, because there just isn't a guy, you know, until Trey Mitchell, I've been told Trey Mitchell is set to arrive on campus this weekend. Um, and that's when he'll, you know, start his practice and, and he'll give you a five presence. You know, I've been told that the, the hope is for him to play the four, but you know, at least some, some five interior presence for uh, the cats to give, Ugo something to work with because right now he just doesn't have that. Uh, and that's, you know, that's hurting his development. He This is a, a really important offseason for him. There's a lot of pressure on him to make that sophomore jump. Um, and not to say he can't hit that yet, but I've, I, or in, in the near future, but especially in the distant future. But I've been told that he has not like been this like world beater in, in practice thus far. Uh, and with games two weeks away, like, how much are we really going to see this absolute explosion in the next couple of weeks, especially with Aaron Bradshaw up in the air, uh, September, October timeline, you know, not going to get him for the preseason. And then like right when the regular season starts is when, when we're going to see a lot of him. It does kind of lead me to think, Sean, that you kind of play wait and see mode about grad transfers and who else could become available and then go from there. If, absolute prize becomes available and a clear connection and a clear guy that you go all in on that is an, an obvious upgrade over Ugo. I, I think at this point you got to take it if you're John Calipari. And if that person doesn't present itself, why not push for Sompto and say, we need you for a practice presence at minimum. Yeah. Th- this whole grad transfer thing, it, it's really shifted when rosters can be set. Like, you know, guys can, finish out foreign tours and stuff and, and maybe not feel as comfortable where they are and maybe look elsewhere and go, go the grad transfer route and, and rosters are being constructed and built a little bit later than what they have been in the past. So, but you have a guy in 24 who is physically ready for the collegiate game body wise. I mean, he has the nickname baby shack for a reason. I mean, we're, we're talking a massive frame wingspan, a guy that blocks shots was named uh was a defensive player of the year at OT this past season. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, or I mean, just, I mean, just, a huge frame and is ready physically to handle the collegiate game. But if you, something else falls into your lap that is maybe more college ready and you leave him in 24, then that works out. Or if you need him and and he's right there, bring him into 23, 24. I mean, Kentucky feels like they're in a really good spot right now with their roster. Something I didn't know if me and you could say three weeks ago, but Kentucky's kind of in the driver's seat with, with where they stand. and, And they've this, Staff has put together a nice haul over the last few weeks. And I was on the phone with someone today, Jack, and there's a lot of optimism about what Kentucky's done the last couple of weeks. And I think opinions are changing, including mine, about what this team could be. And I know the, the news and stuff that you've been hearing out of out of workouts and stuff has certainly changed our mindset on, on some things, that this is starting to look like a pretty good team, whether they add Sompto or not for the season. So – Another, you know, what I've heard about uh, summer practices, Ugo has kind of been the the only guy that has been the, mm, we got to see, we, we just got to see what happens there. Like that's been the only question mark that I, I've really heard, um, you know, just kind of going from top to bottom. I've heard uh, DJ Wagner has kind of taken control, been that alpha, been as expected. Who they brought him in to be is exactly who he, he's been. Uh, you know, he's not going to magically magically become a 
percent three point shooter overnight. You know, he still has his shooting uh, flaws, but in terms of the ability to take games over and be that alpha that a locker room needs, like he has been that guy and has really been, you know, commanding practice and things like that. Um, and told Antonio Reeves has been Antonio Reeves, nothing too different there. Rob Dillingham has been the interesting one. I know there's so much talk about. Uh, you know, the off-court stuff, I've been told he's been an absolute joy to work with, very low maintenance, somebody that's that uh, they've really enjoyed working with, and he's been there every single day in practice, and, you know, not showing up late and, you know, struggling in that area. He's really kind of taking control of, uh, you know, from a maturity standpoint and really understands, like, what it means to be a very good college basketball player, which I think is absolutely huge. Um, I've been told he struggled a little bit with, uh, you know, physicality and size and length, which is to be expected. He's six two and a half a buck 60 like that's to be expected for a guy like rob dillingham um i've been told that there's also been kind of a transition period of him kind of learning to play off the ball and how he and uh, dj wagner are going to play with one another and kind of you know one guy being off ball one guy being on so um you know not not a perfect scouting report yet in in, in report card but still a lot to be excited about but it has brought a ton of excitement from a creativity standpoint and uh you know as an initiator and you know beating guys off the dribble and things like that rob's been really impressive in that regard so uh i feel really confident about the backcourt those three in particular i've heard justin edwards has been really impressive has played small ball four because of jordan burks having to be the small you know backup five justin there is a small ball four so that's kind of led to something we've talked about and hinted at uh, on this show about what he could be. He has done that and, and has played really well there. So um, a lot of, of really positive stuff coming out of practice outside of the kind of big question mark about Ugo. And I think with Trey Mitchell arriving on campus this weekend and starting practice and then immediately followed by the, by Toronto, we'll at least get clarity one way or the other of what you need in that front court. If you do need to make a push for one more guy. Yeah, this is a huge trip for Ugo. We talked about that on the most recent episode of the show, and he's going to get opportunity and get run just because he's the one interior piece that's there with his frame and his size. So, you know, he's going to play through some struggles. He's going to play through some mistakes. He's going to have his good moments. He's going to have his bad moments. But this is a this is a week coming up that I think is going to kind of tell the tale of where Kentucky's at on the interior. I have no concerns about the perimeter. And that goes back to March and April on the show. We've been talking this entire time that I had concerns if Ugo was going to be the guy at the five you had to lean on. And I think he has a lot of upside, but I still think there's going to be some some growth and stuff that's going to have to take part in his game. Uh, but, Jack, like, I would love to see Bradshaw on this trip. I would love to see that. But at the same time, I still think that even if you lose some games and, and things and you don't have what you want at the five, I, I just feel like that, Cal's going to be forced to look at some different options and you just hope that it performs at a at success rate, like at a high level. That way they can maybe look at some lineup combinations when they get into the regular season and maybe Cal and the staff isn't so hesitant to go small at times. Like I would love to see some looks with, with Trey Mitchell running the five in Canada. And I think you're going to have to, given the lack of interior pieces that Kentucky has, they're going to have to get creative. If it looks terrible, you probably won't see it. And when they're at full strength, you'll see Bradshaw and Ugo side by side some. But if they find some success there and metrics and analytics and stuff show out on the positive side, maybe you get some lineups in November or December, even when they have uh, their plethora of bigs and stuff. But I would love to see them get creative with 
maybe the situation that they didn't have going into the season or the summer, but the the hand that they've been dealt, you can still get creative with it and find a way to make it work and maybe find some experience, you know, experiment a little bit and find something you can use in situations when it actually matters in a few months. Uh, Eric Greaser says, is Ugo even able to play in Canada? Yes, he is. I've been told, which thank God, man, because could, could you imagine what this team would look like without Ugo? You know, we don't even need to talk about that because it's not going to happen. He, he will be available, but just uh, a much needed interior presence. And just for him, especially uh, if he's not going to get the head-to-head battles that he needs right now, um, it, that again, that'll help in the coming days when Trey gets on campus. But uh, at least for now, if he's not getting that from a physicality standpoint, that U23 team, you know, I went back and looked at the Canada uh, Team Canada roster from last season. It was absolutely freaking loaded, Sean. I mean, absolutely loaded. Guys that were draft picks this year, Marcus Carr, uh, Leonard uh, Miller, a bunch of uh, name brand kids that were on last year's group, and it's going to be the exact same same thing. We're not, you know, going in pessimistic about Kentucky because of, like, who Kentucky is. The reason why is because it's, the, like, the teams Kentucky are playing, it's not hungover 40-year-olds that have been playing at the craps table all night long like we see in the Bahamas. This is, you know, these are guys that are actually competitive and, and are, you know, working toward professional status, NBA status, and, you know, at minimum, you know, making the Olympic team for their respective countries. Like this is going to be real competition that for Ugo, especially I'm thrilled about it. And I think Rob too, uh, if we're talking about, you know, some, some concerns about how he battles against size and length and strength and things like that. I think this is a perfect opportunity for him to kind of just start taking those bumps and bruises and know what it's like to play against that type of physicality. I think it's going to be a great help for both of them. Yeah, it is. And you're going to get a lot of questions answered and, and, guys are going to get a lot of run and, and opportunities. You're going to see different lineup combinations. I, I think another storyline that I'm watching, and, and we're going to get into this over the course of the next couple of weeks on the show and, and things, but I want to see what they do on the perimeter when it comes to who has the ball in their hands in certain situations. Like if they're in some close games late, who do they play through? And and that's stuff that they're not going to get answered in practice, Jack. They're going to get that answered on that trip. And it might be uh, they'll fail at certain moments and they'll succeed in other moments and, and you'll figure it out. But that's why you do these trips. That's why you go play these games. But you know, who, who's the point guard, who's the backup point guard. What is Reeves role? Is it, is it a primary off the ball role? Does he do some stuff with the ball in his hands? How does Rob move without the ball and, and things like that? Like there's a lot of things that on the perimeter that these guys are going to be in spots that they've never really been in, in their careers, but they're talented. They can make shots. They can make plays. And I think it will all work out in the end. And I think you'll see Kentucky kind of uh, get some growth from this trip. And whether they win every game, win half of them, lose all of them, you're looking for stuff that you can add to sustain success in the regular season. And and we'll, we'll see. We'll take some positives away. We'll take some negatives away. We'll take some uh, storylines and moments where, like we said the other day, there'll be guys that we're not talking about right now that we'll be talking and drooling over here in about two weeks. And then there'll be guys that maybe we're drooling over right now that we're going – yeah, let's look at it again. Like that, that's the storyline every single time they take one of these trips. So you're, you're probably not as good as what it's going to look and probably not as bad as what's going to look. It's going to be somewhere in the middle and that's okay. Yeah. So we'll see. It's, it's huge for roster construction purposes. What is next for, for the Wildcats, but um, you know, in terms of development, it's just a really crucial time. It's almost, 
how behind the roster construction has been leading up to this point and how stressed we've been about it. It's, it's almost like a best case scenario. And just in terms of, uh, you know, throw the guys out there, you know, brand new pieces of clay and just see what it, what they are, just see how they're molded, you know, actively in the kiln, like, you know, thrown into that fire immediately. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good opportunity for them, you know, whether they struggle and, kind of a deer in the headlights, whoa, they're way further behind than we anticipated. Or, you know, cream rises to the top. Guys like DJ Wagner would probably really thrive in this setting. Uh, and, Sean, we saw a picture that Kentucky's been practicing with the FIBA balls, too. So that, that I thought that was kind of a new uh, added touch. Um, these FIBA events, you've seen guys miss just, like, gimme layups and things that just making decisions and plays because it's just such an uncomfortable style of play. Um You've seen guys play out of their element quite a bit with just these high-profile events, and I'm really interested to see. How, I'm glad that they're using that FIBA ball, um, but I think that's that's kind of an interesting wrinkle that that we've seen. And 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 there have been some people asking about um, jerseys and what the uniforms going to look like. I've not seen them. I've not heard about what they're going to look like. Hopefully, uh, you know, we get a sneak peek of those shortly because last year's uh, Baylor uniforms were absolutely sick. So I'm really looking forward to. Uh, seeing that, but but we're, it, we're, it's right around the corner, man. Like there's going to be a lot of movement and things to talk about with just this trip in particular. You're in 14 days. Yeah, it's you. You want to make sure you're hitting that subscribe button because we're going to be coming your way often over the next two to three weeks and, and talking a lot about this roster and this team and. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline talking about the the FIBA ball and stuff and I know our guy Steven he, he's big on the the basketball and stuff in the NCAA tournament and, and what's being used and I know from, I from our guy and from our guys and coaching too like I heard it all summer we'd play somewhere with a different basketball and our guys were complaining about it you get used to a certain ball and it matters and stuff so uh, getting in there and practicing with that ball over the next couple of weeks I think that's a big deal and a smart move as well but, but Jack I, I really I've started to shift my opinion on what this team's going to be able to do. And I know I saw a question earlier that somebody was asking, is the ceiling second weekend for this team? I don't want to put a ceiling on it. And what a cap or a floor, it. man. Like, you just, you don't know. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know who's going to, who's going to emerge and who's going to regress from projections and things. Like, you know, Ugo's slated as a first round pick, but, you know, we, we know that there's some struggles there and things. Like, how does he look in Canada the next couple of weeks? Uh, I don't know. Like, I think second weekend should always be the goal, like a realistic goal for your program. Any team in college basketball, if you can get to that second weekend, then you, you've you given yourself an opportunity to play yourself into the final weekend. And if you get there, you're in the conversation to win a national championship. So get to that second weekend, a place that Kentucky hasn't been in a while, and then have an opportunity to play yourself into a final four. That That is what I would look for from this team and what I hope to see is be that second weekend, but then let your play – determine whether or not you advance to that final weekend or not. 
Before we move on to our next topic, the Source Say Podcast is also brought to you by Andy Ludicky and MyPerfectFranchise.net. Are you ready to leave the corporate rat race for the American dream, looking for a side hustle while working your current job, wanting to diversify, build wealth, and or le- uh, leave a legacy? Andy can help. Andy is a franchise consultant as well as franchise owner and helps people find franchises that fit their skill sets, financial requirements, time to commit, and more. His services are 100% free, and he's here to help. If you have any questions about business ownership, you can learn more and contact Andy anytime at www.myperfectfranchise.net. Sean, big news this week. I'll admit I was uh, very clearly a step behind on the Chuck Martin news when Jeff Goodman dropped it uh, publicly. I kind of was like, you know, I haven't heard anything about that being finalized. Like maybe that's a front runner. Maybe Cal, you know, circled back to him uh, after talking with him in the spring, but I hadn't heard any real traction there. Uh, I dug a little bit deeper and I have been told that uh, he is expected to be that final uh, coaching addition for the staff. Um, I think the placement of what it's going to be is not, at least I, I'm not 100% sure what, it, whether, um, so you have five spots and the reason why it's, there hasn't been an announcement yet is because the uh, July 1st is when the, uh, NCAA's five uh, countable coaches rule goes into effect where you can have five on-court coaches. Um, that is the thing that Kentucky has been waiting on for Chuck Martin in, in particular. Now, is he going to be the third recruiting assistant alongside Orlando Antigua and, Bru- and uh, uh, Chin Coleman? Not 100% clear on that yet. There's still some details left to iron out, at least on my end. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, there was also talk about uh, you know, Bruiser Flint continuing on with that role, or if not, kind of taking more of a, uh, you know, t- I think it's either going to be Bruiser or Chuck, vice versa, switched one or one or the other, being that third guy. If not, and if not, the other is going to be alongside John Welch as that uh, second secondary coaching only uh, position where they will not be on the road recruiting. So uh, a, a huge get. Uh, I've been told it could be announced at any point in the coming days, but July 1st is kind of when the countable on-court coaches uh, are, are allowed. So I, I'm kind of using that as my kind of rough guesstimate of when we could hear something. Um, a, a really Im- Im- impressive get just from a uh, how long he's been around the game, the recruiting ties that he has had. He's gotten some really high-profile guys. Um, you know, not a ton of success as a head coach, but you don't need him to be a super successful head coach to be uh, one of one of three assistant coaches, especially if he's one of the the, the backup guys next to uh, John Welsh. I think uh, a really solid move. It's not a 25-year-old Miami Heat assistant that some Kentucky fans were hoping for, but uh, there's still a lot to like about this get for John Calipari when it does inevitably get announced in the coming days. Yeah, it's a 53-year-old coach, though, that, that's been in the game a very long time. I think, what, since the late 90s at Seton Hall, I believe, as an assistant coach mm-hmm. right there. And then multiple stops in, in different conferences, has, I think, four or five years of experience in the SEC at, at South Carolina and then most recently uh, at Oregon. So I think it's a good move. You you pair that with the addition of John Welch, who I think is going to take on a significant role when it comes to, you know, X's and O's and, and things like that and a basketball mind added to your staff that can get creative and and maybe do some things outside of the box and, and maybe change a, change some things there, maybe convince Cal to, to take a look at some other things too. And I think overall it's been a successful offseason when it comes to, to what they're doing to the staff. And 
from, you know, what you put out in the story you wrote yesterday, you know, these are conversations that have been going on for a bit and mm -hmm. probably explains why it was so quiet when it comes to what's Kentucky going to do with, you know, this, this spot on staff and things and where's Kentucky going to go. So that, that clears that up too, of why Kentucky wasn't moving, you know, at, at a, at a quick pace. So I like the addition and uh, I, I think it's good for the staff. Uh, Cal gets a guy that he's worked with in the past. Two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. But he gets a guy that's been at some places that he's been, some conferences that he's been in and a guy that he trusts. And uh, I, I like the move. I like the addition and I, I like what they've done to the staff over the last couple of months as well. There are a lot of people um, in the chat and, and I know it's like the taboo topic. Everybody wants to know about he who should not be named, you know, who played for Chuck Martin at Oregon, um, Folly Dante, a guy that was had Kentucky as a finalist at a high school. There's a lot of buzz about him hitting the portal the last couple of years and Kentucky being one of the ties. I, I know he's a big fan of Kentucky at a high school and uh, Kentucky was a realistic transfer option and, and, uh, the last couple of years had he decided to do that, but he decided not to hit the portal. Um, look, we just spent, you know, two, two full weeks complaining about people uh, tampering for Antonio Reeves and all that. And like, I just don't feel comfortable speculating on a guy that has not hit the portal yet. I, I know there are ties there. And should he decide to hit the portal? And like, you know, the Trey Mitchell thing is so different because, you know, Trey Mitchell's head coach got a DUI and like that, that kind of just shook up the entire roster as we're seeing guys hit the portal every, you know, every other day from that roster uh, due to circumstances out of Kentucky's control, out of Trey Mitchell's control. And, and like when it became clear that he was going to look for other options, when you put all of the, the endless number of connections between Trey Mitchell, John Calipari, his stepdad, you know, past coaches, uh, Orlando Antigua, all of the, just the, the countless number of connections. It just made too much sense where it, like that was clearly coming down the pike. Like that was something that w was inevitable. That kid was born to play for John Calipari. But when it's a, a kid who hasn't even sniffed the portal yet, like has, you know, hasn't announced anything yet. Uh, I believe Oregon has lift, listed him as a, a, a graduate this past spring. So I, I, Again, I'm not going to go kid by kid by kid by kid for the rest of the summer trying to decide if, you know, dealing with uh, Antonio Reeves academic stuff was already terrible enough. I'm not going to do that with every kid for the rest of uh, the summer. Um, if Nefali Dante does decide to hit the transfer portal, I, you know, I think there could be a connection there. It would make a lot of sense. Chuck Martin did not recruit Nefali to uh, Oregon. He was, you know, at South Carolina at the time, you know, I, I don't think it would be he would be coming specifically because and like I don't think Kentucky is hiring Chuck Martin specifically to bring him, obviously. Um, but it I, I understand the intrigue there. He's a first team all Pac-12 member. But until he decides, you know, even a, a report that he is very likely leaning toward entering the transfer portal, uh, like, you know, I'm just not going to speculate on if a kid's going to hit and where he's going to go if he does decide to hit. No, that, that that's a conversation that we'll have if if there is a, a change or a, somebody goes to the portal or something like that. But you, you know, you mentioned it, you brought it up all the all the talk about tampering and stuff, and and the way people get upset about it and stuff. If someone comes after you know guys in their program, like that's that's probably discussion that we want to stay away from until yeah. something something actually is of substance to to discuss it. But. Look, if Kentucky doesn't add anything else, and you know we're looking at the names there on on the side of the screen on the graphic there beside me, like 
it's a roster that looks significantly better than it did three weeks ago. And it's because of the two seniors at the bottom, you know, Antonio Reeves and Trey Mitchell. And uh, I made the point on the last episode that those two, those two pieces there and those two guys can really shoulder some of the load, especially early in the season while Kentucky's freshmen figured it out. But also said if Kentucky wants to get where they want to go and win a national championship, they need those freshmen to become lottery picks and first round draft picks. Like that goes hand in hand at Kentucky. That's actually common sense. I was talking to you about that yesterday uh, off record and off the show, but get those freshmen, two or three of them to, to hit. And you know what you're getting out of those two seniors. And uh, I think Kentucky's got a roster there on the right that I think is going to be okay. I think they're going to have a chance. And I don't think you need to hit a home run to close out this roster. If, like we were comfortable if Santo was going to be that in full. Like I just think they're missing a physical presence down low. I, I just do. I, I think they have plenty of finesse pieces, but I think they need a Lance Ware replacement. That guy has not been filled yet. And that's where I, I, I thought Santo was the perfect guy because he was five great fouls. He was going to give you a tough dunk, a block into the fourth row. Like he, he was going to be that type of presence on the team. Rebound at a high level too. Can yeah. grab boards and, and, and that's part of the reason why I'm like, you know, we'll see what happens. Everybody's saying it's not going to happen. He, he's going to stay in 2024. Um, but we've seen this happen so often where, you know, Ugo, last, last last time around, he was supposed to stay in the 2023 class. He wasn't reclassing. He wasn't reclassing. He wasn't reclassing until he did. So, you know, I, that's just kind of the, the mindset I'm holding. If you're in John Calipari's shoes, you kind of – hold all the cards like you you're kind of playing with house money at that point because you know you know if if ugo doesn't take that jump that you need him to take and the toronto trip is an absolute disaster in, in the front court then you can go okay i know somto we can at least get him at minimum by january i know we can get him at minimum in january but if that dude becomes available via the, the grad transfer route like then you know. Or if Ugo goes up there and absolute demolishes the competition, then you go, hell yeah, we got our guy. Like it, it, They're in a really good position where I don't think they're in need of a home run threat at the center position. I think you could work around Trey Mitchell at the five, Aaron at the four, Aaron at the five, Justin at the four. Like You can get creative there while adding just a solid enforcer physical piece through the grad transfer transfer route. Like that's how I would approach it. If I were Cal the two, three weeks following this, this Toronto trip, it's going to be really telling just what this team needs. I'm hoping they don't need anything because the Ugo uh, goes and plays really, really well up there, but uh, it will, we'll have clarity in the front court one way or the other. And I think that's really, really important. Um, and you don't have to hit home run. You can just find a really solid piece if, if necessary. And it could be Sampo down the road. And, and the thing for Ugo here is, is I want to to make this clear on, on what my expectations would be for him. And if I could kind of script out the perfect role for Ugo in season that would help Kentucky get to a deep run in the NCAA tournament, it would be to be a, a rim protector, be an elite rim protector, whether it's 18 minutes a game or 26 minutes a game, whatever his role ends up being, but rim run. Do those two things. You don't got to give me offensive production and, and knock down shots and, and post up on the block and score 10, 12, 14 points a game. You just got to be able to to dunk balls, sprint out of ball screens, rim run, and block shots. And if those are the two things that he kind of keys in on and, and does at a high level, then I think that he makes an impact on this team. 
if he struggles to do those two things, then I, I think I get a little concerned about where Kentucky's at. And I think that's where they probably need to add someone else just because the, the injury to Aaron Bradshaw there and stuff. And, and you hope that timeline is spot on with what we're expecting, but if it, if it isn't, or if there's a, a setback or something, then you're, you're looking at a situation where if Ugo is struggling, then what does Kentucky do in the front court? Then it doesn't have a big, and then it has no physical presence whatsoever on its roster. And, and you, you go back a few years to Jamal Mary and Tyler Ewis, and that backcourt was loaded, but it was missing that punch on the inside, that physical, that, that physicality at that spot, and it, it cost them. It cost what I thought could have been a team that could have made a deep run in the NCAA tournament. So you don't want to relive those days. Moving on just a little bit uh, to the other big news item of the day. Um, there's a lot of speculation. Uh, I know there was some internal confidence uh, on Kentucky's end about who this ACC SEC uh, challenge matchup was going to be. There was a lot of confidence on Kentucky's side that they were going to get Duke, that they were going to get that set up and kind of create a year-by-year, not necessarily a home-and-home yet, but I think ideally from a media rights standpoint, like I think everybody involved just kind of thought that it made way too much sense to not have a yearly matchup with Duke, um, whether it's in the Champions Classic or if it's not the the you know rotation matchup, the other being either a home or away game at Cameron Indoor or home against Rupp Arena. So there was some pretty obvious pushback whenever the news came out that it was not Duke this season. It's going to be the Miami Hurricanes coming off a Final Four run under Jim Laranega, bringing back a lot of talent. There's a lot to be excited about. A clear top 25 team going into this upcoming season, but it ain't Duke at Rupp Arena. Your thoughts when you saw the uh, announcement of uh, the Miami Hurricanes being Kentucky's matchup in the ACC-SEC Challenge? I clearly thought that it would be Duke. I, I just thought that they wouldn't miss the opportunity to kind of, in the inaugural year and, and starting that thing off, to put Kentucky and Duke in a you know home court matchup, uh, something that has never happened you know, in, in that series. And Miami's still a good team. That's that's an opponent coming in there that that went to a Final Four. Going to play you on November twenty eighth. You you get a look at your young team against a very quality opponent, a good quality opponent there on your home floor. It adds to the home schedule. And I do think that we are getting set up though for a stretch run here with Kentucky and Duke every single year. You know, I tweeted out this morning. It, it if if maybe if they're looking at this and thinking they play in the Champions Classic a year from now in two thousand twenty four then you can sandwich a home and home between those two years. And if they renew the champions classic, I think after 25, which I would expect them to do so, like that, that seems to be an event that's going to keep rolling on. Then you could have Kentucky and Duke play in the champions classic in 24 home and away as the ACC SEC challenge in 25, 26, and then do the champions classic again in 27. Then you could have a four year run there of Kentucky Duke. And I think at some point, Jack, you're going to Kentucky's probably going to play Carolina and Duke in just about every single season in the same season whether it be CBS Sports Classic or in this event or the Champions Classic. And if you told Kentucky fans that – I know some people probably got tired of playing Kansas every single year. I never did because it's a quality opponent and it's one of the best teams in the country. Like, I want to see Kentucky play the best. Duke and Carolina are there every single year. Give me give me Kentucky versus Duke and Kentucky versus Carolina every single season. You'll never hear me complain about it. Especially with the news of, you know, Indiana being a future series. And, and like, they're clearly trying to get the name brand – matchups and it just I think 
this year specifically, it was a swing and miss on the uh, event coordinator side because I know Kentucky wanted Duke uh, at home. Um, and, and that's fine. But Miami, I think, will end up being a really underrated matchup at the end of the day because that's a really talented Hurricane team. Again, coming off a of Final Four, they replaced, you know, they lost their two leading scorers, but also replaced uh, one of them with, with Matthew Cleveland and brought back two guys that were, you know, potential draft guys. Um, could have left, decided to come back. Like, that's still going to be a really solid Miami team is going to be in the top 25. Some uh, of the er- way too early projections have them as a top 10 team, you know, depending on who, who you're looking at. That, that's at le- that's definitely one of the more intriguing matchups of the entire challenge. It's not Duke and it's not at Rupp Arena. Uh, the the on-paper excitement is definitely not what, what it would obviously be with the rivalry matchup. But I still think when we get to that game, there's going to be a lot of excitement for it, especially if Kentucky continues to – trend upward at you know it's, it's early 20, uh, December 28th or November 28th but I still think at that time there's going to be a lot of excitement once we get to that date maybe leading up to it won't be as much but once we get there I think there's going to be a lot of excitement no it's it's a good opponent like it I'm, I'm okay with it like if, it, if it's not Duke and it's not Carolina you know I, I'm okay that it is Miami and I'm glad it's at Rupp Arena I'm glad that we're adding to the home schedule and stuff. And, and over the course of the next few years, I think that event is going to give you better matchups yearly than maybe the SEC, you know, Big 12 Challenge was doing for Kentucky. I know that became a Kentucky-Kansas game every single year. And I know Kentucky played West Virginia on the road. They didn't get to return that game. And then Texas Tech didn't get to return that one. But I think that you're going to see K- Kentucky cycle through Duke and, and Carolina. And then if Miami's that that team there, like the team that most recently went to the Final Four out of the ACC, Kentucky's going to get the best of the best from that conference. But you also have Gonzaga in there for a, a, a series for the next few years. So you could be getting the K- Kentucky Duke and Carolina and Gonzaga just cycling through. That That's, that's adding to the non-conference schedule. And getting some of those games in Rupp Arena has been something that fans have kind of longed for for a long time. And you're going to get those over the course of the next – few years and moving forward, which is not only good for the program, but it's really good for college basketball too. Uh, while we're t- kind of talking scheduling, the SEC schedule got also got announced for this upcoming season. Um, w- what were your kind of initial thoughts on that? Uh, some of the individual matchups that you might be excited for, things that surprised you about the release? Let me pull that up real quick and look at everything. I want to make sure I talk about it. I know. So Kentucky got – I'm pulling it up here. So they got – is it Tennessee twice? Who else? Who are the other two? Who are the other teams twice? They got Vandy. Uh, Arkansas twice. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Florida, Mississippi State. Uh, you avoid uh, Alabama twice. You don't get Alabama twice this season and, and stuff. I like that, obviously, you got the, pom- the opponents in Tennessee, the permanent opponents there that you play home and away. Like, it's only fitting that Kentucky plays in Knoxville and, and Tennessee and Lexington every single year. Like I, I think I was, I was talking, well, me and you both were talking to a, a coach in the SEC not too long ago, about a week or so ago, and they were praising Tennessee and, and how good the Vols could be this year. I know there's going to be people in the comments, I'm sure, uh, having some thoughts on that, but that's going to be a good Tennessee team and and stuff. And it's a tough schedule. I mean, you you go on the home and away with Arkansas, the the road schedule. You're you're at Mississippi State, at Tennessee, you're at Auburn, at LSU, like. At, at a good Texas A&M team? That's going to be the one. That, that's that's a unique one. one. And, and, and two, like, you can't really discuss a ton about this until we see the layout of the schedule, too, and, and how many of those games are back-to-back. Is there a 
is there a two or three week stretch that just is brutal where you're on the road at Tennessee, you're on the road at AM? Like that'll be where we can do more of a breakdown. But I, I like the schedule overall and stuff. And I feel like that's a schedule that Kentucky, I thought last year, the schedule, some years, the schedule hurts teams like Kentucky because they have to play the best of the best or they have to play somebody twice that, that comes out of nowhere and is kind of near the top of the league where other schools kind of get your break and only have to play them once. And I know there's been years where it, it's hard to really weigh the overall regular season SEC champion when there's so much, you know, differences in the schedule and who you're playing multiple times. But I do think that that's a – on top of what we expect to be a, a good non-conference schedule at home for Kentucky with the addition of Miami and you're playing Gonzaga and the Champions Classic, like – I don't think you can really complain about the schedule anymore. There's going to be a lot of marquee games at Rep Arena and a lot of good games overall to, to follow. Like, I, I like the schedule. And for a very, very young team, some <laughs> yes. of these matchups are going to be – they're going to be tough. At, at KSR's Tyler Thompson is uh, you know, queen of the website. Uh, the, the, the GOAT did a, a rundown of – uh, the ranking Kentucky basketball's SEC games by difficulty. Uh, just get your th- thoughts. I'm going to ro- roll through um, all of them by ranking. Uh, one, at Tennessee, at Thompson Bowling. Uh, two, at Arkansas, Bud Walton. At Texas uh, A&M, Reed Arena. Four, versus Tennessee at home. Uh, five, home against Arkansas. Six, on the road uh, at Mississippi State. Seven, at home against Alabama. Eight on the road at Auburn, nine on the road at Vandy, 10 on the road at Florida, 11 at home against Mississippi State, 12, uh, the uh, head to head battle against Damian Collins and the uh, LSU Tigers uh, down in Baton Rouge, 13 uh, home against Ole Miss, 14 again home against Missouri, 15 at home against Vandy, 16 on the road at South Carolina, uh, 17 at home against Florida, and 18. Uh, the unfortunate Georgia Bulldogs at home. I think it's a really good list. And, and the, the, the top of that list, I will be lying if uh, a lot of those didn't scare the living bejesus out of me. That's a great rundown too. Like that was that was accurate with what I was going. As you were reading those, I'm looking at the the games here on this graphic, and they were spot on with what I was going to go with the the next number. And no, that that road schedule. I mean, road schedule's tough. Like there, there's a lot of road dates in there and there's no easy road game in the SEC. You, you know that. And, and especially in this league and then the oh, I've seen every damn one of the losses. Every time I go <laughs> and I think it's a, a gimme, we get crushed. It's like, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's tough life on the road in, in any of the, any power five conference. I mean, look at the big 12, but it, it's tough in the SEC too. And with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I think it it's a no-brainer that Tennessee's at the top of that list and, and given how many times Tennessee beats Kentucky in Knoxville, but you know, Kentucky's had its fair share of success there in the last few years as well and and stuff and you know swept Tennessee this past year, but then that road trip to to AM and in Florida, like we know that those those venues present challenges every single night. Arkansas, Bud Walton Arena, that that's a I'm so glad that that has moved into a home and home 
you know, the last couple of years, like that was something that we weren't getting there for a while. And I think if, if Arkansas is going to be one of the better teams in the league, Kentucky should be playing them. And probably the same for Alabama too, with what Alabama's done the last few years. But then again, you, you want to catch a break somewhere and, and not play the too tough schedule. But how important is winning the regular season crown in the league? Like some people, it probably matters to and the fans. They, they want to add to that overall number that Kentucky just dominates. But I'm more about getting prepared and, and stuff for the NCAA tournament and, and, and having success there. I think Kentucky fans would take getting success in Nashville in the SEC tournament over whatever in the winning the SEC regular season title and stuff like that. You want to be playing your best basketball when it matters. So uh, I don't put a lot of weight in who wins the SEC just because the schedules just aren't the same. Like Alabama's going to play somebody twice that Kentucky's not going to play twice. And it just, it's hard to really measure who the best is when it, schedules are just so different. So I like the schedule though. I really do. I, I like the draw. I like the the home and homes and, and Kentucky's road schedule, the storylines. You mentioned Damian Collins at LSU. Like even the games that aren't as marquee, they're going to have those storylines mixed in there. Uh, John Hans said, hope we get a source to say about recruiting updates also. Um, there hasn't been a lot of recruiting. Kentucky before today, and again, there's still the talk of Santo being in 2023 at some point, you know, whether it's as a, as a mid-year enrollee or whatever, him kind of laying the foundation of this 2024 class I don't think really says a whole lot about the 2024 class. Like Kentucky's just really, you know, Jaleel Bethea, Sean, is the one guy that I think Kentucky has to go after. Uh, team final kid. They're the number one seed going into uh, Peach Jam, which we will be at. We will be covering. We will have our own very specific. Well, we're going to host KSR talking exclusively about it. So I, I assure you recruiting talk will will come uh, and there, there was some also some, some talk on on ks board the uh, our message board about how you know there just hasn't been a lot of of scoop and a lot of not a lot of basketball talk and it's like well beyond the roster construction and the the the, the players that kentucky's been going after like there have there, we haven't had any major storylines with this 2024 recruiting class of oh this guy's coming on campus he's a must get for the cats cats a the class sucks so it's not like there's this home run threat that you got to go get and him arriving on campus is, you know, you roll out the blue car blue carpet. It's just a weird recruiting time because the class is not good. There are some, 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 some great depth pieces to find like Ahmad Noel and guys like that Kentucky has offered and they are kicking the tires on, but haven't, uh, you know, really gone all in on. So it's just a weird time. And that's where some of those, questions and concerns of really what is Kentucky's plan for 2024 uh, is, are they just relying on a lot of guys coming back from this current team, maybe a reclass or two from 2025 and then hitting on Jaleel Bethea, hitting on Carter Knox, hitting on Jasper Johnson as a reclass, you know, is, is that going to be the path? Uh, it's just, it, there's not a lot to talk about with recruiting right now because Kentucky's not recruiting many guys in 2024. So uh, it's, it's an unfortunate time. I'm hoping that we get a lot of clarity with Peach Jam next week that Jaleel Bethea goes for 35 in a game that John Calipari's in attendance and goes, that's my guy. I got to go after him and do whatever it takes to get that guy. Like that's, that's what I'm hoping for because I wholeheartedly agree. It has been kind of a little boring to not be able to say, Oh, you know, this recruiting storyline, this narrative, we got to go get this guy, whatever. The only real storyline narrative that we've had is Kentucky not going all in on Flory Badunga and why, uh, Duke offering him and, you know, 
it's very likely Duke or Indiana for him. Duke kind of seen as the uh, emerging leader and likely team to beat for him. So I don't know. It's just, it, it's unfortunate. I'm hoping next week we get some more clarity on that front. Yeah. I was just about to ask you if this, if, if when you're looking at 24, is, is this why you make additions to your roster like Joey Hart and, and stuff late that you, you kind of look at guys that could be in your program multiple years and just going off that list over there to the right, like, this is going to be a team that it's going to have its fair share of NBA draft picks. So you're going to lose some guys at the top, but you also I don't want to get, don't want to burn myself on this, but I could look at that list and still see four or five names come back and kind of anchor a roster next season, whether Kentucky adds transfer portal pieces, or you mentioned three classes from 25 to 24 being in play. Like Kentucky will, will have to get creative with how it fills out its roster for next season. Hopefully not to the point that it had to this April, May and June again, but uh, Kentucky will have to, to get creative and, and put a talented roster together. But I, I do see some names there that could come back and, and be leaders a year from now that maybe won't have as large of a role this season. Uh, but we know the transfer portal is always going to be in play too. And uh, I feel like that Kentucky was in a position this year where having such talented incoming freshmen maybe hurt its chances in the portal, that you just didn't have opportunities that you could really pitch and sell to guys that was just clear-cut, like, yeah, you're going to be the guy. You, you probably – come to Kentucky and you're coming off the bench, especially if you're a backcourt piece. So I think that made it difficult to really target the portal this year where maybe next year you will have one or two spots that you can get portal guys and and, and get some some guys that are actually see a role for themselves. Um, talking about guys who Kentucky would love to have back for a second year and could you know be a really high-impact guy down the road. Um, Dr. Rick Hellman says, just jumped on. Has there been any word about uh, how Jordan Burks has looked in practice? Yeah, I've heard good things about Jordan. Um, again, because Kentucky is so shorthanded right now for with bodies that he's kind of had to be thrown into a role that's not necessarily what he's going to be at Kentucky. Like, he is the backup five right now, and he's been battling against Ugo a lot in practice. So that's not who he's going to be down the road, I, I you know the staff appreciates his positional versatility to be able to do that, which is a, a fantastic luxury to have. But um, I've heard good things. He really thrived yesterday in particular um, told that Cal kind of singled him out after, you know, a two on two kind of pick and roll situational drill that they did uh, that, that he really looked apart and, and, and did, did some nice things in that drill and Cal singled him out uh, for, for that. So, I've been told that, that, you know, he, he's coming along nicely again. I, it's kind of like Joey Hart. I, I was told that, uh, that he uh, leads the team in standing ver the highest standing vertical on the team and you know really nice release on his jump shot uh consistent he's making shots but like still not a lot of expectation that he's going to be this immediate play 20 minute type of guy like that's not who he's going to be and I, I still lean that way for Jordan Burks things could get interesting depending on position insurance and how injuries shake out. If, you know, if Aaron Bradshaw misses time, does he, do we kind of have to throw him there uh, at the four? Things could get wonky, but I don't think the initial expectation is a, as of right now is that Jordan's going to play a whole, whole lot. Um, it, it, he was definitely a guy that you got specifically for year two. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where I was coming from. You, you look at names like Joey Hart, and Jordan Burks and Adu Thiero and if Ugo isn't where he needs to be and, and Reed Shepard and, and what happens with Rob and things like that. Like there, there's guys there that you look at and think, wow, you know, this could, you can see it, but it's just getting to the point of sustaining guys in your program over the course of more than one year. And, and you need those guys to bridge the gap from year to year. But 
uh, I don't know. Like I, I'm excited to see what this team does in the coming weeks. Um, Canada is an opportunity for every one of those names on the right that's healthy enough to play. And uh, nothing can change your opinion more than consistency and production on the court. And who goes into this trip that's kind of viewed a different way and comes out viewed on the other side entirely different than what we viewed them going in? Is it a is it a Jordan Burks? Does Joey Hart have a bigger role than what we expect? I, I don't know. Like when you're talking athleticism, I think that his I think Hart's athleticism is probably the most surprising thing that mm-hmm. it's come out of the additions that. I think that at some point in this program, he's going to have an opportunity to play. John Han, I don't, I don't know if they're like per uh, the typos are on purpose or not, but they are cracking me up in the chat right now. Not hearing Tyler Perry as much, and I'm so bun- bummed we missed out on Floridian Badunga. I, I like, I, I like that a lot. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I, th- I think the next week will be really important for clarity and recruiting and and how you know Peach Jam is obviously the most important weekend of the year uh, it's going to be really fascinating to see how Kentucky operates with that because as soon as Peach Jam ends they literally fly straight to Toronto and begin practices there like they leave the ninth and that's the end of the uh, live period for uh, coaches at Peach Jam it's the last day of Peach Jam but they so the day Peach Jam ends they literally fly straight to Toronto and start practice up there so I uh, think seeing kind of how they juggle that I, I'm, I'm curious if you know, a couple coaches stay back. You know, I think that's going to be huge for – that's where I think getting Chuck Martin hired July 1st or right before Peach Jam so you can get three coaches there, in, you know, with plus Cal, they're in attendance at Peach Jam while John Welch and Bruiser Flint stay back with the, you know, with the support staff guys and, and really dig their heels in on practice. I think that's going to be huge there. But it's going to be a very, very busy – but clarity filled two weeks, I think, for, for the, the, the program with recruiting reasons and uh, on, on court reasons for the Cats. So plenty of talk on the show that we're very much looking forward to. We're going to have uh, plenty to come. We'll, we'll definitely do a show live from Peach Jam um, beyond our KSR show. We'll definitely do that. And then uh, obviously, we'll, are you going to Toronto? I don't, I don't think I asked. Are you, will you be up there? Uh, not sure. Of. I'll I'll talk to you about when we get off the show. Like okay. that's the plan. Yes, okay. that's the plan. But we will. I'll uh, I'll fill you in on that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So either way, wherever we are, wherever I am, we'll be doing live shows there for, for uh, talking about recruiting next week and then uh, roster news. If I'm not in Toronto, if I'm not in Toronto, I will still be on the show with you and I'll still be talking. But uh, the the plan is to to yeah to be there. But if not, I'll still be on the show. Sweet. Well. That wraps up today's show. Appreciate all the people in the comments, all the questions, um, the continued negativity from Carter Hall. I see it. I don't know what the deal is, but I, I hope I hope you uh, you're okay, bud. Uh, let's get the heck out of here, Sean Smith. Where can fans find your work? You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. Find me on Twitter as well at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for the Jam Packed Sources Say podcast. We will see you then.